0: Excellent. Okay, so what we're going to do, now we're going to play a little bit more of a game. So, what we're going to do is, I'm going to read a little bit of a story, okay? And every time I say the word light, we're going to jump up and go, woo, okay? So, shall we practice that? Light. And if I say the word dark, you're going to sit down. That hurt. Sit down like that. Yeah. Okay, so I'll we'll practice again. So, light. Woo! And dark. Excellent. in adults and uh, older people as well, um, as in the older, younger people. Um, if you'd like to jump up as well, feel free to do so. If you've not done exercise this morning and you think this is your chance now, here we go. So when I say light, you want to jump up. Light. And dark. You sit down. Excellent. Okay. So we will start by standing up just because you're already sitting down. So everybody stand up. If you want to be involved. Okay, so this is a little story. In the beginning, the world was dark. But God said, let there be light. And the world changed from dark to light. Loving it, loving it. And God divided the light from the dark and called one day that was light and one night that was dark. God wanted all people to share his light. But God's people went through a very dark time when they were slaves in Egypt. So God rescued them. And when they had crossed the Red Sea with Moses, their hearts were full of light. Hey, God led his people across the desert into freedom and guided them with a dark pillar of cloud (laughs) and a light fiery pillar in the night until they reached the place he wanted them to live. Some of God's kings brought God's light, joy and peace to his people, but some were bad and brought darkness, sadness and pain. God wanted everyone in the world to share his light, so he told the prophets to tell all people walking in darkness that they can see God's light too. And <laughs> On one dark night, God's light came into the world in the shape of a baby Jesus. Jesus was born into a dark of a stable and under the light of a star. When Jesus grew up, he turned turned the darkness of pain and suffering into the light of healing. He turned the darkness of holiness. You see where this is going, don't you? He turned the darkness of loneliness into the light of being friends with God and with other people. Jesus turned the darkness of being confused into the light of understanding. And one final one. Jesus said he was the light of the world. He also said that we, or you, are the light of the world, that we bring the light of Jesus into every place we go. Woo! Excellent. Okay, do you want to take a little seat where you are? Take a little seat, because you're probably exhausted. So everyone, the other day, right, the other night, sorry. I, uh, I woke up in the middle of the night, I was really, really thirsty, and I was like, I'm going to have to go downstairs, I'm going to have to go and get a drink. But I really couldn't be bothered turning the light on, and I didn't really know where the switch was. So what I did is, I was walking around in my room, and I was fumbling about, and I couldn't see where I was going. And then I suddenly got really confused, because I didn't know where I was, and I was like, oh, I didn't recognise where I was, I didn't understand, because it was all dark, and I couldn't see where I was going. And I got a little bit confused, and a little bit, a little bit scared, really. And sometimes, right, in life, it can be a little bit scary. It can seem a little bit confusing, and we just don't know uh, wh- what what's going on, or we don't know what the future holds, or we don't know where we are, and we're getting a bit confused. Ah, well, we'll get to that in a second a little bit. But the, uh, the Bible, okay, the Bible tells us, as we heard from that little uh, um, game before, the Bible tells us that Jesus, okay, is the light of the world. And Jesus is so, so good, and he's the best light that there is. Okay, But when it says that, it doesn't mean that like Jesus is this like, massive light bulb or something. It's more than that, actually. What it is is that Jesus helps us in really difficult situations, when we're confused, when we don't know what's happening, when we're scared, or when we just want a little bit of, uh, a bit of help or something. Jesus is the light of the world. Jesus helps us in those confusing and dark times. And he says, I'm the light of the world. But he also says that you are the light of the world as well. And actually what he's saying there is he's saying you can help other people, you know, your friends and your family, your people in your schools that are confused as well or maybe need help in something. Jesus is saying that you are the light of the world, that he wants to use you and you and you and you and you as lights of this world to bring, bring good things, to bring hope, to bring joy to people. And that is, a, in a way, is our mission when we're here on earth, is to bring light, is to bring joy to people's lives as well. So we're up for that. Are we going to be light bringers everywhere that we go? Are we going to try and smile at people when maybe people have been upset? We're going to try and help people in difficult situations. If you want, why don't we do one final jump up and say, woo, for light. We're going to do it. Three, two, one. Woo! Excellent. Okay, do you want to go back to your seats? Warnings can be a good thing, can't
1: they? They can stop us getting into all kinds of trouble. Um... Last Tuesday, Lydia and I went uh, um, to Snowdonia to climb a a ridge called Crib Gok. And at the bottom of this, as you're going over a stile, there's this warning sign. It says, Caution, route to Crib Gok. doesn't really tell you why there's a caution sign there. And if you didn't know, you'd think, well, what's all this about? And it's not until you get up there that you suddenly realize, well, yes, I can understand why people would put a warning sign there. When we were up there, it was not quite as clear as that. It was blowing a 60-mile-an-hour wind, and uh, it was a little bit foggy, but uh, it was great fun. (laughs) Sorry, what was that? Not agreeing. Lydia's not agreeing. She really did enjoy it once she got down. But uh, Jesus spent a lot of his time teaching people about good news. He uh, ministered to them. He healed them. He uh, encouraged them. He taught them. But also, in a couple of occasions, he gave them a warning. He gave them a very explicit word of warning. And when you read that warning in the Bible, just like that kind of cautionary note at the bottom of the Krib Gogh path, it's not altogether clear what the warning was about, but I'm going to try and uh, help. So I've got three illustrations. First is Bread. Next one is a frog. And the last is salt. Can anybody guess what the connection is between those? Bread, frog, and salt. French bread is salt. French bread I just hope there's no French people in the audience. Well done, but incorrect, (laughs) funnily enough. I'll try and put you out of your misery. So, they are symbols of perhaps the greatest threat facing the church, according to Jesus. I've taken a bit of poetic license with the frog, by the way, but... Jesus warned his disciples in a couple of ways. So let's start with the bread. Actually, it's not uh, the bread per se, it's the yeast in the bread. Jesus spoke with a clear warning and a parable that mentioned yeast. Now, who knows what yeast is? Go on then, Nathan. What is yeast? Ethan. Sorry. What's it makes the bread rise. Rise, yeah. Well done. So you don't need a lot of it, but you put a bit of uh, yeast in, and uh, it makes uh, the, the flour and all the, the, the dough rise. Now, yeast is actually mold. Did you know that? It's mold that grows on the sugar and turns it into carbon dioxide, which makes the bread rise. Now, if you found a bit of mold on your bread, what would you think? Ugh, I'm not going to eat that. Horrible. You'd throw it straight out, wouldn't you? There have been times when I've eaten into a sandwich. and gone, mmm, that's lovely. And then you look at the side of the bread. and There's nice little blue dots on it. It's like what they say, uh, what's, the, what's worse than finding uh, uh, half a worm in your apple? <laughs> yes. Mm, yes, you know what I'm saying. Now, see the words there that Jesus warned his disciples. He said, be on your guard against the yeast of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. And then later he said, be careful, watch out for the yeast of the Pharisees and that of Herod. What on earth is Jesus warning his disciples about here, about yeast? Now, there's a thing about yeast, isn't there, that it doesn't take an awful lot to change the whole batch. And Jesus is saying, look out for The things that the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the Herodians, the followers of Herod, do. Now, the Pharisees were infamous, at least in Jesus' eyes, for their total hypocrisy. For saying one thing and doing another. Jesus said, be careful about hypocrisy. It's the biggest danger facing the church. The Sadducees were people who rationalized their thinking according to what they could see in the world. So the Sadducees didn't believe in resurrection of the dead. They didn't believe in the spiritual realms. They didn't believe in, in angels. They only really believed in things they could feel and touch. Jesus said, beware that that thinking doesn't influence you. And the the Herodians were lovers of money and of power. And Jesus was saying, be careful that that doesn't come in and spoil the church. Be careful that yeast does not um, infect you as my disciples. Then Jesus used yeast in another sense where he gave a parable and he said... He told them still another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like yeast that a woman took and mixed into about 60 pounds of flour until it worked all through the dough. The kingdom of heaven is like yeast that a woman took and mixed into about 60 pounds of flour. Is yeast in that sense good or bad? Good? Well, it's interesting because the... King James Version of the Bible, which uh, some would argue is closer to uh, um, proper translation of the original, says that the kingdom of heaven is like leaven or yeast, which a woman took and hid in three measures of flour. Now, the disciples would have known that when Jesus refers to bread and dough, and when he refers to yeast that yeast was always bad. Think about it. What kind of bread were the uh, um, Israelites told to to cook when they were about to go out of uh, Egypt? Unleavened bread. Whenever they were told in Leviticus to bring a bread offering, it was unleavened bread. Before Jews celebrated the Passover, they were told to go throughout their whole house and search for any yeast that might be there and take it out. The disciples would have known that whenever Jesus mentioned yeast, whenever yeast was talked about, it was a bad thing. So what on earth is Jesus saying that this parable of the kingdom of heaven is like yeast, like, uh, that a woman took and hid as the King James Version says, in flour, until it worked all through the dough. Jesus is warning against compromise. It is easy to take the yeast, the bad things of the world, and mix it in with the church until it spoils the bread. Until it causes it to um, you know, puff up like bread. Jesus is saying, don't be like that. Don't let the world come in and influence the church. Because as it says in Galatians, a little yeast works through the whole batch of dough. A little compromise, a little bit of give and take here spoils the truth of what the church is about. And Romans twelve two tells us, don't conform to the pattern of this world. But be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is. His good, pleasing, and perfect will. If we allow ourselves to be compromised by the things of the world, then actually we're no longer able to test what God's will is. Because actually we set our standards by the things of the world, not by the things of God. Jesus is saying, Beware, don't compromise. So that's the bread. Now, frogs are mentioned in the Bible. Again, never in a good way. Jesus didn't teach particularly about frogs. But I want to ask you the question, how do you boil a frog? Anybody know how to boil a frog? Sorry? Put the lid on the pan. Well... That's one way of doing it, but if you take boiling water and you put a frog in it, the frog jumps straight out and is completely unharmed. The way to boil a frog is to put the frog first of all in cool water and then gradually turn the heat up. And little by little, the frog gets really comfortable in this pan of water, really enjoying it. And it gets hotter and hotter. And the frog gets sleepier and sleepier until it's boiled, dead, finished. The frog doesn't realize what's happening to it. And Jesus is saying, this is a bit like what the church is like, if you allow the yeast to come in. Because if you compromise, if you little by little let the, uh, the standards of the world just... Uh, Kind of heat you up gently, and uh, once you start conforming to that and get comfortable with the things of the world, then it's game over. You know, there's sometimes when things happen on the news that we're outraged about, aren't there? We say, "How can we as a church stand up and let those things happen?" And yet, if you look back fifty, forty, maybe even thirty years. To where the church was and to where the church now is, and the standards that generally, I'm not talking about this church, but the standards generally that we live by. Do you think that there's the same level of outrage against things that are not of God? I would say no. Do you think the church, in many ways, is succumbing to the yeast of the world? Do you think we're boiling like that frog? I think we are really in danger of that. And Jesus warned against that. Be careful about the east of the Pharisees, of the Sadducees, and of the Herodians. You know, you just have to look around at um, what our attitude to the Ten Commandments are. What our attitude to keeping Sunday holy is. What our attitude to the way we spend money. What our attitudes are to the way we uh, spend our time. What our attitudes to what we give our money to. What our attitudes to the priorities that we give God over the things that we'd much rather do, actually. We've got to be really careful that as followers of God, we don't end up like that boiling frog. Tom. And then the last one is salt. bit easier, this one. We've already heard um, this before. Jesus said, you are the salt of the earth. Salt of the earth. What's salt used for? Flavoring. Yeah, excellent. What else is it used for? preservative yeah so we're called to be the salt of the earth we're called to if you like bring flavour to this world that God's created to be Jesus two people of the earth we're also called to be a preservative because without Jesus then we're subject to death and decay aren't we But what does that warning that Jesus gave go on to say? If salt loses its saltiness, what's it worth? Nothing. Absolutely nothing. Except to be thrown out and trampled upon. So, as the church, if we are to be salt of the earth, then we have to be distinctively flavoursome. We have to be that preservative. We have to be different. We have to stand up. Do you think that, going back to the the parable of, uh, of the yeast and the woman kneading it in, some people would interpret that as, you know, if the kingdom of God is like yeast, we're there to, 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 to cause the uh, um, the world around us to, to, to rise and, uh, and be full. And Jesus is saying no. And I would say to the, the, that interpretation is incorrect because if we are here to um, work our way into society, do we do a good job of changing society into the way God wants us to be? Or actually, does society do a good job of changing the church into what it wants to be? I think unless we stand on the word of God, unless we are determined to be salt in this world, there is a real risk that we end up compromising. And we become more like the world day by day. And Jesus says, no, you are salt, you are light, you're there to shine out, you're there to be different. So bread, frog, and salt are illustrations of the warnings that Jesus gave against compromise, the biggest threat that faces the church. It was, And it's not a new thing. Jesus warned the church 2,000 years ago that yeast was a bad thing. Compromise was a bad thing. We needed to be distinctly different. So why do I say all this? Well, A, it's a warning from Jesus. B, when I look around yesterday uh, as I was driving um, to and from church to the light party and seeing um, young kids walking around in black uh, Halloween costumes going from door to door um, saying trick or treat, it broke my heart that the world is so consumed in chasing after things of evil things of darkness, rather than things of light. It broke my heart that people would spend their, uh, their pocket money on, on uh, various costumes and so on, make every effort to go out into, uh, into the darkness last night, but then don't want to come into church to share the light. It breaks my heart that the world has so much of a pull on people so much more than it seems the church has. We as a church need to stand up, to be salt, to be light in this community. And the great thing is that Jesus has won the victory already. (laughs) Yeah? It's not like it's a battle that we have to go out and win. It's a battle we have to fight for sure, but it's already been won. Just when God said, Let there be light at creation, so also He brought light back into the world in the shape of Jesus. And He left His Holy Spirit that um, we too might be that salt and that light, that uh, distinctive difference in this world. So, church, I say, don't compromise, be prepared to be different be prepared to stand up and stand out for Jesus. Because that's what we're called to do. And if we lose our saltiness, we're no good but to be thrown out. If we allow the yeast of the world to come in, then the whole batch is spoiled. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, I thank you that you have won the victory. I thank you that you are the light of the world. You are the hope of all the nations. Lord, help us to be like you, to be worthy of the name Christian, to be distinctive, to stand out, to be salt and light where we are. Guard us against compromise, I pray, that your name would be glorified. Amen.